Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. What's up, everybody, and welcome in to Commanding the Huddle. I am your host, Ryan Fowler from the Draft Network. And before we get in to Washington's Week 2 loss to the Kansas City Chiefs in the preseason, as always, this podcast is brought to you by our friends at Bet Online, who is the fastest and easiest way to wager on all your favorite sports, contests, and events with first-to-market odds and lines. Find reviews and news for every league, including Major League Baseball, NFL, NBA, NHL, combat sports, eSports, and even golf. BetOnline continues to be the top online resource for all your sports information, from live in-game betting to props and future bets. So head to BetOnline today or use your mobile device to join today and make your first sports bet. Just use our promo code BELIEVE50, that's B-L-E-A-V-5-0, to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. BetOnline, where the game starts. All right, so let's jump into today's episode. A lot to get to following Washington's 24-14 loss to the Chiefs. That was, again, kind of similar to last week. Better in the second half, more so than it was in the first half as things were a little sloppy. However, can try to stay as positive as possible after watching Patrick Mahomes shred Washington secondary with Names in Justin Watson and Jody Fortson. You know, it wasn't Tyreek Hill, who's now in Miami. It wasn't Travis Kelsey. It wasn't Nicole Hardman. It wasn't Marcus Valdez-Scantling. It wasn't Clyde Edwards-Hilaire out of the backfield. Those are the names you're going to hear a lot for the Kansas City Chiefs this year, but it was Justin Watson and it was Jody Fortson that were running wild on Washington's defense today. But I want to start on the offensive side of the ball and really the first play from scrimmage, which saw Antonio Gibson taking as the primary kickoff returner, which is a massive, massive, massive sign towards Brian Robinson as RB1 right now in the building in Ashburn. And that is something that has happened quickly, but that's what happens when you put the ball on the ground. doesn't matter how talented you are. We talked about it a lot on last week's pod. Cannot put the ball on the ground if you're Antonio Gibson or anybody else in the NFL because you're going to find yourself holding a clipboard with a diminished workload. And that's exactly what happened today and potentially moving forward as Brian Robinson once again looked good in his limited workload. Had eight carries midway through the first half for about 31 yards. Antonio Gibson had one carry for negative one yard in that same frame. So it's Robinson's job as of right now and what we saw today to lose. Whether that, you know, we didn't see J.D. McKissick at all today. We saw kind of the names come in later in the game with Jared Patterson, Reggie Bonafone, Jonathan Williams. Saw that kind of mixing in. We saw Antonio work in in the second half with getting the ball in his hands out of the backfield where he's extremely comfortable. We've seen that in the past. But right now, as, as far as Washington's back that's expected to be on the field right now, week one against the Jaguars when they enter their first series of the season, it looks to be Brian Robinson as RB1. And it's it's definitely something to follow as we move in forward towards Gibson's workload against Baltimore this week in practice and moving forward because obviously number 24 in Gibson is 
someone that they need to perform well within this offense for them to reach their performance ceiling. And him on the sideline is possibly not Washington's best offensive lineup. But if you're turning over the football consistently and that trust is not there anymore from Scott Turner and Rivera, you can't play him. doesn't matter who you are. Again, it does not matter. It doesn't matter what the name is on the back of your jersey. Can you hold on to the football? And right now, Antonio Gibson with six fumbles last year, four of them lost, most in the NFL of any running back. And then he comes into week one last week against the Panthers and fumbles between within the shadow of his own goal line. It's Brian Robinson's job to lose right now, and he once again looked good today, consistently falling forward, one cut, north-south runner, plays the violence behind his pads. He looked good once again. So from there, I want to talk about the offensive line. It wasn't great today. Chiefs didn't even have Chris Jones along the interior, but Washington was without Andrew Norwell at left guard. They were without Charles Leno at left tackle. It was Cornelius Lucas starting at left tackle, Aaron Montero at left guard. They didn't have, excuse me, Sadiq Charles at left guard. And then at right guard, there was no Trey Turner. Again, it was Aaron Montero. Now, Cosme was at right tackle. It was good to see Chase Roulier out there. He looked healthy. He looked fine. And Cosme looked okay, even though looked a little sloppy on one of his reps that he lost to rookie George Karlaftis and gave up a sack in that first half. But John Masco, offensive line coach, they looked fine. Carson Wentz wasn't taken down. Looked fine. Looked, looked comfortable. Looked poised. Was accurate most of the time with the football, with the limited workload that he had. They got John that they got Jahan Dotson involved. With the first pass of the game and a quick tunnel screen to the outside, following Brian Robinson's carry. So they want to get the rookies involved early after Jahan wasn't even targeted in their first game against Carolina. So you're starting to see the playbook expand a little bit. It was less amount of targets to Armani Rodgers at tight end, who did get the start once again with everybody else out, including Curtis Hodges. You know the names of Logan Thomas, Cole Turner, and John Bates that are out once again. This week, that's turning into a massive concern of their depth at that position moving in to the final preseason game next week against the Ravens and obviously into the Jaguars game. But Wentz was focused with his eyes up towards the intermediate to deep areas of the defense today. He looked fine. And I'm just excited about his progression because the playbook looked to be expanded a little bit today. And they needed to do that because you know, regular season is just a few weeks away. And he's got to get comfortable under fire. And if he isn't, then throw him in com- uncomfortable situations and see how he reacts. And today, against a decent Chiefs secondary, rookie Trent McDuffie, Legereus Sneed made a few plays on the outside today. Juan Thornhill is one of their main safeties. They got some players on the back end. But Wentz looked fine today. More progression from him. And again, the expansion of the playbook is something that I'm looking forward to follow as we move into this week of practice and heading into the game against Baltimore, depending how long Wentz plays. So from there, want to go to defense side of the ball. Um, that first half against Mahomes at times was ugly. And the third down defense is a massive, massive concern. It's a huge concern. And I don't know if it's something that can be fixed overnight because it sure as hell hasn't. And it's been like this for almost a decade now. Back to the days of Joe Barry and Greg Minuski and Jim Hazlitt. It's consistent. And Jack Del Rio, just it's schematically on on third down. At, at one point, moving into 
the first half, the midway point through the first half, Kansas City was six for six on third downs. You gotta get off the field and give your offense a chance to score points. And I know it's tough against Mahomes. I get it. But this is the NFL. You have the litany of first rounders within your front seven, and you have veterans within the back end and playmakers at that. Don't be afraid to send extra bodies. Now, thing is, is that some of the times today, third and five, third and six, Del Rio sent six. He sent seven. And sometimes it's just tip your cap to Mahomes for making plays outside of structure, sandlot plays. We know he's the best in the NFL at doing that, making throws across his body, opening his hips, doing things that you don't teach, right? They're just, again, you just tip your cap to a you know, type of talent like that that's able to consistently produce no matter what the situation is, make any throw in the book no matter where his body is, what the defense is throwing at him. You just tip your cap to guys like that. But on the defensive side of things and for Del Rio schematically, if it's a third and six and you send seven, why are your corners playing man on the outside five yards off the ball? That doesn't make any sense to me. Get in their face, force them to get off the line of scrimmage, and get it, get in their chest plate a little bit. Let them know that you're there. You got long physical corners on the outside. Benjamin St. Just, William Jackson. These are longer corners. You drafted Christian Holmes out of Oklahoma State. He's a long corner with long arms that you want to reroute receivers at the line of scrimmage when you're sending Cole Holcomb, Jamin Davis. You want to send Percy Butler or Khalid Hudson or Derek Forrest, Cam Curl on a blitz. Get in their face on the outside. This soft cushion on third and six, third and seven, when the Chiefs had their five-man line, they keep a tight end in and they keep their back in the backfield. And they would, you know, even deploy some 12 personnel when they had Fortson and Noah Gray on the field. And linebackers safety couldn't cover Noah Gray over the middle of the field. And Mahomes just trusting his timing routes. But free releases, they don't work against quarterbacks like that and the talent that they have offensively. So, again, I don't know right now where to go with this performance ceiling right now with this Washington defense, considering the fact that we've seen the same type of stuff from Del Rio schematically for years now. It doesn't matter what names are on the back end or what their talent is. It's soft cushion on third downs. On, on early downs, you're seeing soft cushions as well. I'm rarely seeing guys in the face on the outside and sending six or seven and getting after the quarterback in two to three seconds. Everything is soft where guys on third and seven are running a seven-yard dig, sitting at the chains, and it's completed their chest. They fall forward to third and eight and get eight yards. It's a first down. There's too much of that, and they have to get off the field. And if they aren't able to, we talk about all the time about how this defense and their performance ceiling and the talent that they have at all three levels, but if they're consistently on the field for – 35 minutes a game, they got to breathe. They have to breathe. And that's when you're looking at the depth of this roster. We've talked about the limited depth at linebacker. They lost Matt Ioannidis and Tim Settle within the interior of the defensive line. Who knows if Chase Young, when he's going to be healthy. And we talked about a lot about the CB depth behind Fuller Jackson and St. Just with Cornelder and Holmes and Danny Johnson you have to rely upon those guys if you're consistently on the field and not able to get off on third down. That is a huge concern once again leading into this final preseason game. And it's only going to, you only watch it improve 
in the regular season. That's all you can hope for. They go in the preseason against Baltimore and, and, and hold Baltimore to one for nine or something on third down. It's not going to mean anything, and you go against the Jaguars and, and let you know, six for ten on third down. It has to be something that they're looking at internally from Ron Rivera's standpoint and Del Rio schematically, what they're doing both in the front seven and in the back four because it has to change as they move forward into the regular season and facing a guy like Trevor Lawrence even in week one that has the capacity between his ears to understand what teams are doing on the outside and he's got talent that he's going to be able to pick and pop like Mahomes did today. So from there, I want to go to Kim Sims. I want to talk a little bit about him. He is someone that is consistently flashing, and he's flashed in the years past, but he hasn't received that necessary workload on offense. We saw him work the end line today, a beautiful touchdown catch. But the thing about that is it's not the touchdown catch. It's not that he won. He got his feet down, big six five, six foot four, six foot five target in the back of the end zone. Taylor Heineke made a beautiful throw where only he could get it. But it's right after you know, a few plays earlier where he got rocked over the middle of the field. And at, time, at one point, it looked like he was hurt and was going to have to come off. But gets right back on the field and makes a beautiful touchdown catch and someone that just competes every single snap. And then considering the workload that De'Ami Brown had today, I'll get to him in a second, but Sims and Brown are guys at wide receiver four right now, wide receiver five even between those two, of who's going to step up? Because both of them were featured heavy. And with Diami, I put it on Twitter just you know during the game. They ran a bubble screen to Dax Milne. And it was more so, yes, you're getting the ball to Dax to see what he can do in space. But it was more so, what did Diami Brown do as a blocker on the outside? And it was terrible. Didn't get his body in frame. Didn't use his hands at all. And just looked completely disinterested in blocking on the outside. And you cannot be a liability in an NFL offense if you want to play as a blocker. You can create downfield, you can catch balls, but if you're not you're not, you know, a Justin Jefferson like numbers or Jamar Chase as a young player, you gotta do other things to get yourself on the football field. And he's sure as heck not returning kicks or returning punts right now. And he's not getting targets over Jahan Dotson or Terry McLaurin or when Logan Thomas comes back or over a JD McKissick coming out of the backfield. That's or a Cam Sims right now. That's that's not his role. But Washington just spent a day two pick on him last year out of Carolina. And he got a plenty of opportunities today down the field, intermediate areas. I love the nine route that he ran. Sam Howell kind of dropped it in a bucket. The beautiful play by the corner to knock it away. That could have been a, you know, a, a house call there if he would have completed it. A couple times, Jeremy could have, I believe, you know, hopped in front of the corner, made some plays with his hands, be a little more physical at the catch point. I would have liked to have seen him do that, but he didn't. And that will be seen on film because in week one, he was uninvolved. His rookie season, he was uninvolved. I know he dealt with some injury concerns, but he was you know, not in the game plan offensively. And they have to see what they have in him moving in to year two with the names aforementioned at the top of this depth chart. And today, as a blocker, he didn't look good. He got some shots downfield. I didn't like how he sat back. He wasn't that dog in the air, that alpha in the air like a McLaurin or a Dotson is. I need to see more for number two. You're not He's going to make the roster. You're not going to give up on the guy. But he's got to be able to make some plays on the outside, especially like today. 
when he got as many opportunities as he did. So on the other side of the ball, I want to look at Shaka Tony. He is someone that is going to be standing out for me a little bit more so just because Chase Young injury. And I didn't see too much from Casey Tuhill today, William Bradley King, James Smith-Williams, Daniel Wise. Those guys didn't flash for me on, at least from my first glance watching the TV copy, uh, like they did in week one. But Shaka Tony had a sack in the second half. But what I like about Shaka and someone that was extremely overlooked in last year's draft process, he was a seventh rounder, kind of a flyer pick. But he was underrated just considering that pro day that he had at Penn State when Micah Parsons blew it up and Odafe Away completely blew people out of the water. He had a great pro day as well and is an explosive tier one athlete. And you kind of saw that today with in the Chiefs game. And you even saw it in flashes last year towards the back end where Washington was dealing with injuries and following the Chase Young injury last fall. He was able to explode off the edge and create. He has that modern build as an edge guy, athletic, can run, make some plays for you in the flat areas, and then just flat out put horse blinders on him and get after the passer. And he showed me some flashes today, and I don't care who he's working against. The Chiefs threes, the Chiefs fours, he's going to possibly work into some reps as a third down sack artist, someone that can come off as a DPR, a designated pass rusher this year if they need that. Because again, he's another year two guy and another elite athlete that Washington and general manager Martin Mayhew have focused on adding on the defensive side of the ball and at the edge spot in these last few drafts. So he's someone that I have a bold dot to as we move into the Baltimore game and into the regular season because he's someone like Cam Sims similarly on the offensive side of the ball. Shaka Tony on defense, I would like to see him get some more snaps. I don't, I don't he needs to get stronger at the point of attack, and he definitely needs to work on his his anchor in the run game, be able to stack and shed and create some plays in the backfield. Um, by no means is he at Montez Sweat or Chase Young's level in doing that. I'm not asking him to do that. But someone that can come in as a depth piece rotationally as your third or fourth edge rusher that we know teams need because of how pass-happy NFL offenses are in today's game, he could be that guy for this defense. So I'm extremely intrigued moving in to this Baltimore game next Saturday and into week one and into his second season. And then lastly, Sam Howell. Um, Again, you know, we didn't see kind of the performance. Maybe I know a lot of you were excited about seeing this week. We didn't see him run and create with his legs like he did against the Panthers last week or even what we saw during his tenure in Chapel Hill as a Tar Heel. But he's someone that I, I, I do want to see him get work with the ones and twos. And it's hard to say that because he's not going to trot out there with Terry McLaurin and Jahan Dotson with Carson Wentz not on the field. I just don't see that. And the only way possible of that happening is if they go into Baltimore and they want to get a series of work. But if 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 anybody is not to play, it's, it's going to be Terry McLaurin or, or Carson Wentz. And I think those two, their reps are going to be mirrored. Right? If, they're on, if they're on the field together, they're going to be on the field. They're off, they're off. Um, but I do want to see him get work with guys like John Dodson and Curtis Samuel and Cam Sims, Deami Brown. I want to see him on the field with those guys because he just consistently shows me the ability. And I'm not worrying about the offensive line. I'm not even worrying about the outside guys that are getting separation. He understands what he's looking at between the ears. And I think he's advanced from that standpoint. Just considering, again, 
2021 for Carolina did not have Diami, Daz Newsome, Javante Williams, Michael Carter. They didn't have those weapons last year. They had them in 2020. And now this past year when he ran for over 10 touchdowns at Carolina and he had to improve shoulders up and what he was looking at pre-snap during the snap, what teams are rolling to, what they're doing on the outside. Is it man? Is it zone? Sending guys in motion to understand that. There's a lot of different things that he did last year at Carolina that translated so far to the NFL level. And I don't want to see him work against the threes and fours anymore. I want to see what Howell will do against even the twos for opposing defenses. Throw him out there against Baltimore. Let him get some work against when Marlon Humphrey's on the outside, Kyle Hamilton at safety, Chuck Clark. They got some bodies and Baltimore side. And if this is potentially next Saturday, if Wentz doesn't play, if Heineke plays two or three series at max, this could be Howell's offense to run for three plus quarters against Baltimore. Now on the flip side of things, those guys that I just mentioned in the secondary for, for the Ravens probably won't play either, but they have deep a deep talent pool in Baltimore. And they have been, Eric GM, Eric DaCosta has drafted extremely well over the last few years, even dating back to the years with Ozzie Newsome. The guys have leaked over into DaCosta's tenure. They're gonna, they can play. And I want to see Sam Howell against better bump. And it's, it's just, he's consistently pumping balls outside the numbers into tight windows, throwing before guys are out of their stem. That's advanced stuff. And it's into, and the biggest thing is, is he's throwing guys open. And as a rookie in this league, throwing to guys like Eli Wolf and Mark and Michelle and Kyrick McGowan, who, you know, it's part of the business. You know, these guys probably won't be here in 2022 in Washington. I want him to get more work with guys that will be here. And again, if Saturday, next Saturday against Baltimore, is the last chance that we get to see Sam Howell this fall because we expect Carson Wentz to start for 17 and Tyler Heineke to be his backup. That's the plan right now, and that's probably you know etched in stone. If Saturday's the last time to see Sam Howell snaps, I want to get him some good snaps with some guys on offense that need to produce a little bit more for me and I want to see more from. I want Jahan to get as much work as possible before he's thrown into the fire of week one. I want Curtis Samuel to be thrown into the fire after zero work last year in relativity, considering the limited production and success that he had dropped a pass over the middle of the field today. I, I need to see more work from those guys. And why not, Sam Howell? Throw him out there, throw him under, see him what he is under fire and give you a nice evaluation period as you move in to his rookie season where a lot of the time he could be in a t-shirt and shorts holding a clipboard listening into the play calls as Scott Turner calls him in to Wentz and knock on wood, Taylor Heineke if, if things were to go haywire with Wentz. So moving forward into Baltimore, we will have a podcast out for you just like we did this week. It'll be out on Thursday previewing the entire final preseason week three game for the Washington Commanders against Lamar Jackson and the Baltimore Ravens. I'm not sure if we're going to see Lamar at all or any of the, and Kyle Hamilton or any of the rookies that they drafted. As you may see some Isaiah Likely. They got a lot of names on the Ravens. And every year, Washington faces off against Baltimore, the Battle of I-95, if you will. But biggest thing is moving into Baltimore and even coming off of Kansas City, no injuries. And hopefully, I hate the word hope. 
I hate I hate the word hopefully. But hopefully they will stay healthy following the game next week Saturday against the Ravens. But this is going to wrap up today's pod. Just kind of a quick hitter, instant reaction for you guys following again Washington's 24-14 to loss against Patrick Mahomes and the Kansas City Chiefs today at Arrowhead. So now they will travel back home, get a good week of practice in, and wrap up the 2022 preseason. It's right around the corner. It's crazy that the regular season is right over the horizon. But it's here, folks, and it's time to get excited for the Burgundy and Gold. As always, appreciate you guys tuning in. We're on Spotify, Apple Podcasts. You can find me on Twitter at underscore Ryan Fowler. All my written work is housed at the Draft Network. I hope you guys had a great weekend. If you're listening to this on Sunday or Monday, I hope you had a great start to your work week. As always, I appreciate you guys tuning in. I will talk to you on Thursday. I'm Ryan Fowler from the Draft Network, and this is Commanding the Huddle. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.